and welcome to Chanter Banter. Hiya! I'm Andrew Dr. Danger Bova. I'm Dan, Danimal Evans. Uh, you might notice that this week's intro music was a little different from our usual Big Stupid Kaylee band. Um, this week's intro music came from the Big Music Society. Uh, and from the Big Music Society this week we have John Mulhern and Callum McCrimmon. Uh, the Big Music Society, um, well it's really... It's a changing, not I wouldn't say ever changing, but a, a, a changing experiment in updating Peebra and bringing it into a more modern idiom, really still keeping the, the classic traits of it, but um, finding new ways to express that music. Really making it more accessible. Yeah, to, definitely. To and it's, it's, it's really, really good. Like If you've, you've listened to that opening track there, you'll be sitting going, wow, that's really different. But you still get the strength of the melodies coming through, and that's what's really cool about it. Yeah. Anyway, they the, have their show at Cottier's Theatre on Thursday the... Thursday the... I've got it here. Talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> it's on Thursday at 7 o'clock. What's the date? I think it's Is the 14th. Is there a date? Um, the 13th. 13th, 13th of Piping Live at Cottier's. So if you're listening to this in the future, you've missed it. Yes. Um, also, the just astounding professionalism of this show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> ah, it's free! <laughs> um, well, along those lines, uh, before we go in, we'd like to thank our sponsors. And it is sponsors now. Uh, Join us as we bow to our corporate masters. <laughs> uh, McAllister Piping has agreed to come on and sponsor the show. And, as always, Scott Curry Limited. McAllister Chanters are available either from McAllister Piping Limit or authorised retailers, such as... Scott Curry LTD. There you go. And this week's question, which if you've been listening, it's going to be an easy one. When and where is the Big Music Society concert during Piping Live? Say where again. Where? No, it's a silent H. Where? Where? No, like Cool Whip. Oh, I've really bad you. <laughs> Here's when, Sean and Callum. Remember, you've got you guys have the show, the the Big Music Society, is on during Piping Live, right? Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. When is that? It's on the Thursday, the thirteenth of right. August. Yeah, and is it here at Thursday. Piping Center? No, we're doing it at Cottier's Theatre. Oh, the rest of the venue. It's actually a fringe event. Yeah. Um, am I right in saying it's the first fringe event? It is the first sort of official fringe event, yeah. For during piping life as part of piping life, yeah. John, John and I have put on the show ourselves, um, um, you know, with with support from the festival, which is uh, really exciting and uh, and it's kind of cool, you know. It's actually it's a it's actually a really uh, amazing opportunity to take some of the focus of the week and drive it into the West End because mm. there's a lot of amazing things happening in the West End of Glasgow not just to do with music but also you know everything food art um, the whole lot it's it's kind of a surprising place uh, it's also got a lot of history and there's a lot of great old buildings so the fact that we get to do this uh, out in that area and bring people out to such a fantastic uh, you know converted uh, church which Cottier's is, is a, a great opportunity and a great place for the pipes to be played. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Well, you play your pipes all the time. Uh, yeah, um, the Cayley band I play for gets a lot of work out of there, and the pipes sound cracking in there. Like mm. they, 
the whole thing. Like, see if you get a chance, go and check out the organ. There's something just had it refurbished. I'd love to go and have a wee tinker with it. I, I don't know if it's actually. Like a face mask on. <laughs> um, but no, it's, it's um, David Robertson is the name of the architect that's, that's redesigned it. Also, happens to be a mate of mine's dad. And uh, what do you call it? it? It's been really lovingly put back together. Like, it's a great place to hang out, to be honest with you. Mm. Like, and they look after us, but you wouldn't believe. But especially if you're playing in A or B flat. The room just rings, it's crying. Yeah, I went out there for a good while to meet friends for, for pints and all that, just in the bar area. And mm. it's a cool place, about it. it's a good place to go and drink. It's a good place, a really nice restaurant as part of the place as well. Um, so everyone can go and have a, a nice meal before chilling out and listening to some some intense P Rock music. <laughs> is, it the, is it the same program you did at the first concert? Yeah, we're, we're running the same show essentially this yeah. time around. So there's a few tweaks here and there. Yeah, there are a few bits and tw- yeah, a few additions to the to the ensemble. I think yeah. that, that are going to work really nicely. But lasers, um, smoke yeah. machine, <laughs> <laughs> well, fireworks. You know, it's it's one of these things, and it, I I guess it's uh, you know uh, crucial actually to um, what what John and I are trying to support and what we're saying is is already there is like you know Murray and Duncan who are who are leading the night um, both have expressed interest in trying to um, either mold the the performance slightly differently hone it in or maybe take it somewhere slightly different from the last concert that's the really interesting part of what we're looking at as the big music society is um, the idea that um, if you perform it as a soloist, these kind of things are going through your head in, in different increments all the time. You know how you can um, make more of a performance out of it. But as soon as you add in um, different colors and textures from other instrument players, um, it's like, well, wait a minute, this is this is kind of changing everything. So we did that first show um, in March, and that kind of just broke the ice really and it's great because it means that everybody comes back to it to do this show in August and it's like yeah okay the show happened in March but there's not going to be two shows the same and it's always going to be you know edge of the seat and uh, you know <coughs> communication between players and and trying to capture that live moment where who knows what's going to happen well that would be good too because you've already done the show once so you know your second performance you're going to be a little bit the musicians I would think would be a little bit more relaxed having already gone through it um, I think uh, yeah, I think you're absolutely right I think everyone's going to be more more and more comfortable with their parts and be more playing out definitely more parts, comfortable you know? with their parts yeah yeah um, and I, I say that um, Dan and I both went to the first one um, back in was it March um, yeah the, the first concert um, and by no means was it uncomfortable. I mean, it was really well put together. I, I yeah, really enjoyed the, the string game. players really kind of, well, that's why we picked those string players in the first instance because we had the full confidence that they would would take to what they were doing and they would understand the gravity of what we were trying to do as well. You know, everyone was very well aware that this was relatively new grounds you know it has been touched upon in various different places already obviously mm-hmm. but um, everyone certainly understood that this was not music to be taken lightly um, as it's something that 
countless generations have sort of devoted their lives to and take very very personally as well you know so um, yeah we kind of took picked these string players not just for their instrumental abilities but for their sensitivity as well and, and their experience uh, having played with pipes and heard pipes yeah. in their own in their own kind of you know backgrounds yeah. um, growing up and being musicians and uh, you know it's that idea that, uh, that they don't just come from the classical world and they don't just come from the folk world but they've kind of straddled both if not more than that you know there's there's jazz influence in there as well but all of that amounts to uh, uh, an appreciation for what is different and trying to um, create a moment you know it, it was really cool with uh, with Murray uh, and Duncan, they had very different approaches to how they wanted to um, arrange this, you know, wonderful ancient music, um, and it really it did challenge the the players, but it challenged them in really different ways, which was mm-hmm. exactly the exciting thing that we kind of suspected would would happen. You know, so the chance to kind of uh, bring that round again and, and let that kind of uh, set off again is really exciting. For sure, and we we really as part of this as well. It, was, it wasn't really approached from a, a piper centric point of view. We actually wanted the other musicians to to really get into what this was. It's something that they've heard about or had some sort of appreciation of, but had never never grasped. Fully, um, so we really wanted them to to really get into what we were doing as well. That really came through in the concert. Like, mind afterwards, you and I were talking about it, <clears throat> and I think I'd mentioned that the the non piping musicians on the stage seemed really comfortable with the pibrick. Like, it had been clearly been well put across to them. Um, but I want to jump back to something you were talking about earlier that I thought was really interesting. Uh, you're talking about sort of like the gravity of the music that generations mm. of people have you know dedicated their lives to really uh i've done a few collaborations with classical musicians um i arranged black donald's march for uh, wind ensemble and bagpipe and just last year i did a concerto for bagpipe and orchestra uh, and in both instances i spent a lot of time thinking about how far am i willing to take the music and how you know how much do you have to hold a tradition and mm-hmm. honor whatever it is that you've been passed down now you know sure. john you're you're in the gold medal and Callum, if I'm not mistaken, you're a descendant of the McCrennans. Ish, right? It's been said, yeah. Okay. Well, listen, the post, <laughs> the post, a there's, there. a, there, there's the family right trees now. on the wall over there, and Callum's the bottom. <laughs> the, bottom the family trees, so. Like, but, pressure. With, with that in mind, like, how did you guys grapple with that when you were first thinking about the big music? What society? we wanted to do, plain and simple, was to, to give other people the chance to do something with it. We're really just facilitators in this, um, trying to bring people together to, to push things a little bit more from where they come from. I mean, potentially in the future we'll we'll be working on our own things using this music as well. But And, and we have. And we have in, as in well, own, to be honest, yeah. We've ways. worked on, like, the initial big music society thing was an ensemble that I created that Callum contributed to artistically Um, so yeah we have done that but certainly as 
this show that we're that we're promoting in a couple of weeks' time goes. That was really about giving other people the chance to do something. So the responsibility kind of lies with them, almost. You know. <laughs> um, yeah, and 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 I th- I would just add to that. Um, Pibroch as as a performance art has a place where it can be performed and heard and it's a very specific place and it's performed very specifically yeah um and it's very solo it's very um identifiable but surely a, a music of that gravity deserves the opportunity to have other stages where it can be performed you know why not with with other instruments maybe orchestrated maybe it's two people maybe it's five people maybe it's 25 people you know and and you were saying andrew that you've done stuff with an orchestra you know there's no limit to you know these suggestions of color that we get used to as soloists um the, the way that they can explode as soon as you bring in instruments that can just um you know lean on that and and bring that out and and it does require the soloist to be able to convey that and that's that's kind of the amazing thing is to take such a solo piece and say well there's a limitless opportunity for this to be something else and that doesn't rule out uh solo performance and i think that's a really important thing for john and i because don't don't get well I'll speak for myself only here but like don't get me wrong I do love listening to Keybrook being performed on the solo instrument and I can listen to an album of it and love it but I know that there's a lot of people musicians uh, pipers drummers um, plenty of people that that would struggle to do that in the way that I would do that mm-hmm. but I do remember when we had the concert in March that there were people there, so some of our family members, in fact, mm-hmm. and, and, and friends and, and musicians we didn't know and people we, we met on the night who really responded uh, emotionally to hearing these pieces. They seemed to be able to grab onto them. I don't, I, I'm not going to claim what it was because I'm not 100% sure of, of how to kind of put, how to voice that. But something happened um, that allowed the kind of, the colors and the the emotion and the swell of the music to really grab people. I think I could probably describe what it was. I'll give it a stab. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, th- I think that the, the, the simple, uh, relatively simple addition of harmony, different uh, textures, timbres through there, and really importantly, dynamics. Uh, the dynamic, yeah, that's a big thing. The dynamic yeah. range that we don't have as pipers, um, really. I mean, personally, I've always really thought of Peterson as almost not exclusively in every piece that you ever play, but I tend to almost think of them as crescendos, uh, and we achieve crescendo through technical brilliance and the way that we. Intensity. Yeah, the the intensity that we bring through, the the, the changes in tempo and the the technical complexity that we add to things. But I think the addition of other instruments that have a dynamic range to them 
um, people like immediately respond to that in a way that they don't maybe immediately notice the, the nuances that we're trying to achieve uh, on the solo instrument. Um, we're feeling it as solo musicians at the time, you know, we, when you're kind of in that zone, um, it's these sort of implied things that you're feeling as you play. Um, but, you know, to the listening audience, particularly the audience that is not um, well versed in the music, um, it's, it's harder to grasp the, the, those subtleties that, that we are feeling quite intensely at the moment. Whereas if we played a, a cello or something, we would lean in really heavily on notes and then mm. sort of step back more on other notes. Um, we don't have that ability. So I think that that was, yeah, it was a good part of the, the, the reason for the project anyway, was to help to show new audiences um, what we feel about this music when we're playing the music. Um, yeah, so I think I did. Did I did I manage to sort of convey that? <laughs> well, I I, I think Absolutely. you're right. Like for me as a listener in the audience, especially when um when Murray was playing, you know, I was listening to the tune, and there's sort of a way you expect to hear it, right? There's things you listen for, and mm -hmm. you hear the tune in a certain way. That's true of any Peabrick. There are points where the strings would do something. I go, oh, I've not thought of that that way before. Like it just added a different it, color. It, it changed something. Yeah, or it, su it surprised you in some way. Yeah. Um, it's worth mentioning at this stage, um, James Lindsay, who who yeah. kind of acted as chief orchestrator for um, the string ensemble. Uh, now, when Callum mentioned earlier on that Duncan and Murray approached the whole thing very differently, this is where it kind of really comes to it um, with Murray's performance. Murray. Um, opted to use James Lindsay to sort of write the parts for the string ensemble um, and then convey those parts to the to the ensemble and then worked with Murray in a back and forth way to sort of fine hone what Murray felt dynamically when he was playing so going again back to what I was saying dynamically yeah M Murray took basically what what happened was Murray took on role of conductor. Yeah. Um, Did you ever publish a video of him actually conducting the orchestra? Yeah, that was our yeah. initial, yeah. Yeah, our, sort of our initial meet up yeah, for the, the teaser thing. So yeah, Murray very much acted as conductor. Um, but James Lindsay used um, Murray's guidelines emotionally what he felt about the music that's right progressed. that's right yeah murray did a kind of yeah. detailed sort of structure of what he felt how the tunes should progress from one variation to the next and how he saw um the sort of colors changing and again that goes back to what i'm saying what you feel when you're playing the music you know so this is what murray was feeling he wasn't putting it in like stark musical terms mm -hmm. it was more on an emotional level James was able to take that. was really that. good for James. Oh, yeah. Because, you know. Well, I mean, Murray was entering into uncharted territory there because James is a, a jazz musician as well. So, like, there's there's no limit to how dark he might take it. Mm -hmm. It was a really interesting thing watching it, though, because basically when we, when we were doing the rehearsals, um, you know, you'd have... Um, James will have brought some ideas based on Murray's kind of... Uh, 
critique of each variation of what kind of emotion it brings, what kind of energy it, it has. And, and then, you know, and a lot of the stuff, actually, they really understood each other really well. And there was also, but there was also, there, were other moments. there was yeah. moments where it really flipped, where, um, where Murray would hear the, the, the coloring, you know, the, the, basically the harmony uh, or, or rhythmical qualities and, and not feel it was right. And then the two of them had to like have a really kind of there's that sort of tête-à-tête, -tête, isn't there? You know, where yeah. I was like fig figuring out how and and to be honest with you, I think Ultimately, that was part of what Callum and I saw a role with that collaboration was to sort of grease the wheels slightly, um, and maybe help um, help um, put the the vocabulary there to to ease things to sort of ease the tension that comes. Mm from that not necessarily yeah, that's, a, that's a good to... point actually there's there's definitely a vocabulary difference yeah i mean that's i'm not saying that's the only thing but like that is that is an important thing to point out it's like how do you you hear something and you're like mm, that's not yeah that's not that variation would be would be murray's thought and, yeah and, but, and but to explain a... that to a, a jazz musician and then it's like, how do you say it? And it's like, well, actually, I, I'm not sure either. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but it's good because what it's what it caused was this this kind of almost strange uh, kind of conversation about how it needed to be slightly different to that. And then, but you know what? Ultimately, like there was a result out of that. Like it was like it was a conversation between a solo Pibruch player of the highest form. And an outstanding jazz and classical and modern folk musician that is an orchestrator, just talking about Pibrach and how it needs to be coloured. I mean, yeah. that's the thing. That's that's the opportunity. And saying. ultimately, James was you know, James wanted to to do what Murray wanted. This was uh, Murray's vision, but Murray was, he was still open minded and was. There were he definitely was. There were, yeah. there were a few areas where he just needed to hear it a couple of times till he got what James was yeah, trying to it's put like across. It's like what you said. You know? When you were listening to it, Andrew, you heard a moment and you went, oh, you know, the strings did something and you're like, oh, wait a minute, that's not, that's not how I've... Something's changed in how I hear that. Yeah. That exact thing. It's like uh, Murray would hear an idea and it would be new. And I'd be like, oh wait a minute! I just need to let this. <laughs> yeah, and he's, 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 it'll either sit or it needs to leave. <laughs> and yeah, and he's yeah very open about it as well. If he doesn't like something, you could tell he, he from was his, clear. Yeah, he was he clear. His body was, language and from uh, actually what he was just articulating as well, you could yeah. really sense whether he was uncomfortable with something or not. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that that was that was Murray's approach. So again, just talking about the, the two different like positions that our, our two guests took on the whole uh, collaboration. Duncan, on the other hand, a completely different kettle of fish, really. Yeah. Um, Duncan's maybe not... Well, he, he, he doesn't have the, the reputation as a solo competitive piper that Murray has. Oh, I mean, there, there's not many that do, <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah. There's really not many that do. Um, but Murray... Uh, sorry, Duncan... Has uh, 
created a, a bit of a formidable name for himself as an electronic producer and composer of soundtrack music as well. So is far more comfortable in a lot of ways as orchestrator than he is as performer. Um, so Duncan took the the approach of writing all the string parts himself and then using James as the sounding board and tweaker essentially yeah. of yeah. of the scores that he created making them more playable for the ensemble um, understanding dynamically how it'll work how it won't work and the conversation that went back and forth between those two was just very very different mm-hmm. um, but yeah Duncan's approach was far more as an overall arranger than, than Murray's was. Murray, like I said, discussed the music emotionally as he would perform it, whereas Duncan saw the opportunity to create counterpoint um, and create different textures that he thought would be interesting with the pieces. Um, so yeah, two very, very different approaches. I thought it was also interesting that Duncan deconstructed the tune. Yeah, he did as like, well. He didn't yeah. just play the tune. Yeah. He yep. really took it apart. And we, we discussed that um, prior to a lot of his arrangement as, as well, I think he had some sort of initially wanted to sound out what we wanted mm. and we were pretty clear that we wanted to do what he wanted to do mm-hmm. and if he saw the the structure as it is played today as in a solo context as not being appropriate for the ensemble then he thought that it was going to be appropriate to, to slightly adjust the structure of those tunes not dramatically you know there's dropping of variations yeah, yeah. and dropping of some of the the rhythmic uh, you know, uh, the, the real peeber heads out here might mm. might sort of um object <laughs> to this term but the obstacle sometimes of cadences mm. in peeber mm-hmm. uh, the cadences can sometimes be an obstacle to the rhythmic flow of stuff so Duncan opted on a couple of occasions to to just drop the variations that used those cadences, which, as far as we're concerned, was a perfectly valid artistic reason to do yeah, so. Ab- absolutely. You know what? This is, again, this is like, this is it. Like, um, this is one of those conversations um, where you look at things in the way that you're used to looking at them and you go, oh, that's different. Um, That shouldn't happen or that doesn't usually happen or that's never happened before. Um, It doesn't take very long when something like that happens uh, for it to be heard by someone with fresh ears. And they go, "I I don't really know the ins and outs of what that performance just did, but I liked it and uh, I want to hear it again and it makes me want to be able to play it makes me want to learn how to play this ancient music that's from my culture Um, it makes me want to get involved in the oldest surviving pipe music that that we have Um, and that that's again a really exciting thing that that can happen and we we you know the four of us sitting around having a chat, you know, and and many more who will listen to this conversation will go, oh yeah, well, taking things out. 
that's uh, that's brave. And it's like, well, no. But I, it's not my, really brave. My, no, I, don't, no. I don't think it's my, brave at my, all. It's easy, me, Scratch, scratch, scratch. No problem. Not if, 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 if made for the right reason, then it's uh, it's what's happened to every other music form for sure. uh, over the last hundred years, you know, mm-hmm. in the development of uh, every single popular culture that we have in music, you know. Um, it's not they, compromising the tradition by doing that, I don't no, think no. at all, you know. No. It's an augmentation, really. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's one thing about that. I find that I use this phrase a lot when I'm teaching is you're representing someone's art, but at the same time, as a musician, you have a choice to make. You know, so um, I'm trying to remember what was it? What was the last piece that Duncan? Uh, I can't remember the name it. Earl of Ross's March. Earl of March. And he talked quite deliberately about uh, the Krumla being like a, a war march. Yeah. Um, and he, just the orchestration really got that across. To a point where it drew you in, and I actually remember when it finished, thinking, "Oh, it's that been twice as long." Well, it was supposed to be. There were a couple of like uh, glances went across like, the stage, but yeah, it was actually. I mean, yeah, okay, right. Things happen uh, live, and, and that's how it works. Yeah. The show doesn't stop. You know, that's no, the thing. Absolutely. That's that's another thing. It's like you know, there's no breaking down and stopping. It's like nah, show goes on, yeah. shows happening, but it wasn't act. You know, you're. John's exaggerating. It wasn't going to be twice as long, but the fact that you sat there and you were like, "That could have been, that could have been pulled out." You were arranging in your head, yeah, Dan. Yeah. Like, like basically, it's not a case of sitting and being given a rendition of a set form. It's a case of sitting and musically being taken on some sort of journey. That, and when that happens, like you do notice, what, like the the energy when it takes you somewhere like that. You're arranging in your head, mm-hmm. and it's like, well, yeah, because that's that's what can happen right now. Well, you know, that's that's a big step on its own. It's like, what if someone that goes away from it, as you did, and says, oh, that, but that that could have gone on, that could have done more. It will do more in the way that I want to do it. I will take a pea brook and I will do something with it, and I will make. These sections that are set as that, no, they, they can keep going. That can keep traveling because it has that energy as long as I supply that energy. And that's the kind of thing, you know, and that's the thing that John and I are not going to be able to control. No. But we're hoping starts to happen is the idea that people are looking at Peabrook in the same way that pipe bands might um, regularly look at uh, light music. And, and how they can kind of reconstruct that to suit their needs. Well, what about if they take Peabrook, which again, they deeply respect, and, and look at how that can be fleshed out. Um, maybe only one section of it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't have to be the whole thing. It doesn't even have to just be the ground. It could be a variation. It could be anything, um, you know, or it could inspire uh, new uh, compositions. Mm-hmm. But, the, but the idea that there aren't any limits and pipe bands have certainly been doing that as well. You Definitely, know. yeah. Well, um, the most obvious example is the power last year. Well, the power last year, but there there, there are lots of examples oh, yeah. of it going back. Flame to of the, wrath. Yeah, Some flame of wrath like, going yeah, back to that. Played like, you know, all over a ton and I mean, the, the, there are plenty of examples of it, but pipe bands again are sort of constricted by the the competition um, 
requirements and whatnot and expectations of judges, I suppose. I don't really want to get into a huge conversation about pipe bands and... <laughs> I've done that before. Not really my <laughs> area it, to be talking about. But, but it, is a, it is a relevant reference because they are, and especially uh, at certain points, certain bands are pushing things yeah. further... Um, so it, you know, it's, and it's interesting platform. maybe when bands are pushing things a bit more, they look to Peebrook as as a as an outlet. Yeah, well, they certainly under, shouldn't under be scared expo- of it. I think it's underexplored, really. You know, yeah. well, I was I was actually just thinking of this um, when you were talking about arrangement. Like the one thing, I, like I, as time passes and I get more experience playing Peebrook, I start to hear the, the percussive quality much more in my head. Mm-hmm. To a point where now, like playing later variations and tunes, I start to think of, um, literally crescendos and things. If you're playing, you know, um, da hebri, um, da hebri, you can hear, you can hear it rise as you go through the part, and like I think a big thing that a pipe band would maybe have a problem with is if you are working in a, we use a really smart word. If I can remember how to say it. Uh, and a gogic time frame. Uh, there's a there's we're in a library. There's definitely a dictionary. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's all pipe books. Sorry, uh, <laughs> I can't remember how to pronounce it first. But if you're essentially working w- working with feel, and then you've got a drum corps whose entire drumming culture is based off of 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 a metronome. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a strict thing. It's very difficult to get that to work, but oh, you've you've you you've hit you've hit on something. Yeah, okay, sorry, I won't interrupt you. <laughs> no, it's uh, it's. I think that that's where the band suffers is that you've got one culture, of you know we take the power as an example. There's lots of guys in there who were born and raised playing Peebrook. Some of them that you know just don't do what they were required to do in the band and don't play at all. But um, you know they've got a, a a natural feeling for it. It's part of their their pipe and life. Mm-hmm. And you look at a drum corps who are like who are all so steeped in the, the light music, that's not to be disparaging towards that. That's only got more technically brilliant and more musically brilliant in the past, you know, 50 years than it ever was before. It's, it's continually yeah. moving, but what, what do you do if you're playing like... Like, that's pretty square, but... Well, no, like, it, you raise a good point, but the thing is, they... they why why would that be a problem, um, unless you were assuming that everything needed to be metered, and and given a tempo? You well, know, that's the assumption, isn't it? Mm. But 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 it's been done. It's it's well, been it has done been, with yeah. slow airs and, many know, they, times. There are like, great percussionists out there as part of drum yeah. uh, drum corps. You know, incredible. The best musicians I've ever met in my life are percussionists, you know. So they they supply dynamic as yeah. well, you know. They are the dynamic of a of a pipe band. So, mm-hmm. um, dynamic can be done through measured tempo, or it can be done freely just to accentuate moments. And all that's saying is, uh, you know, the band's acting as a as a kind of musical ensemble. Uh, the drummers, no, you you you, you know, you make a good point because. The drummers can't just go, okay, when it gets to this bar, uh, we, we do this and then we do that. It's like, no, actually, when it gets to that bar, you're really following whatever the pipe major or the or the band or however it works in the moment. Wherever that tune goes, which you know, you know it really well and you've mm. gone over it and you've looked at the swells and the energy of this free tune. 
and decided how you're going to bring it out, that's a great moment because that, that means everybody's got to be in that place together at that moment. You can't rely on your foot tapping. That's no use to you anymore. And it, it does happen, and it's happened in medleys recently as well. well I, can think of one, this year. I can think of an Inverary medley from last year, the year before. I, again, I'm, I'm not The huge. water is wide. Yeah, the, is that the one? I can't remember Yeah, they do exactly, a big Roboto section in the middle. Yeah, exactly. And it's, you know, it's super it's cool. A huge that's moment where it's like they're, mo- they're most like, uh, you know, they rehearse more than any ensemble you're ever going to encounter. Like that. Yeah. You know, oh, yeah. So it's it's there's no death. reason why it shouldn't. Like the subtleties of something like that shouldn't be done, but the yeah, whole well, pipe band thing's a huge kind of rabbit hole to disappear. Down. <laughs> <laughs> but you look at if you look at like a folk ensemble. I mean, what, what I was really thinking is like there is a whole um, there's a whole scene of percussion. I, I you know I'd love to hear, and it's it's one of these things where it's it's more of a curiosity. I'd love to hear somebody having a go at a pibrich on on a on a marimba, you know, just using that that tonal quality, and obviously, you know, if you, if you hold down your the pedal at the bottom, you know, just the kind of reverb thing that they've got, and I can't remember, I don't know what the proper name for it is. You know, you would be able to get your backing drone, but mm-hmm. for a staccato instrument to be able to produce the same qualities, you know, it, it would be very interesting to hear. Well, yeah, sorry, sorry. I was going to say, you guys recently put up a, a video yeah. of somebody... Pianist. Stephen Blake. Yeah. yeah. That's just what I was going to cut to. Yeah, yeah. so. I was listening to it this afternoon. Yeah, we invited really Stephen Blake, who's a good friend of ours. Um, maybe not so well known in, in piping circles. Um, he's the piper and whistle player in Rura, mm-hmm. folk mm. band Rura. Um, and uh, just an all-round amazing Fantastic musician, musician. Yeah. Um, that, that really thinks about music on a, a very deep level and doesn't just apply that to his piping and whistle playing but it's a, an incredible pianist as well in his own right um, so yeah we invited him to, to do a little video session playing Lament for Donald Dougal Mackay mm-hmm. um, which is it's one of my favourite pieces in, in the classical repertoire um, and we actually, I, I'm, well, we invited him to do it off the back of the album he put out last year. He got funding through Commonwealth Games last year to release an album um, as reflections upon the Commonwealth Games in Glasgow. Uh, and the final piece on the album was him performing Donald Dougal Mackay on the piano with some sampled sound. Um, from around about Glasgow, sort of as in a, a bed underneath the piano, um, and I, we just thought it'd be really cool to invite him to a place that had a little bit of atmosphere. It wasn't going to be a sterile studio vibe, um, and I don't know when I heard well, Callum and I went to see him perform that album in its entirety at Celtic Connections back in January, and. He actually played it on like a Fender Rhodes piano at that gig, not like a, a regular piano. And at the time, I just remember like I had Tom Waits like ringing in my <laughs> ears, that that really sort of gravelly, dark kind of jazzy vibe was kind of really coming across in what he was doing. So I thought it'd be pretty nice to to do a video of him playing it in a bar in Glasgow. What was the uh, what's the album called? Sorry. Bystander. Bystander, okay. Yeah, you can find that if you start search Stephen Blake Bystander as a website for right. it. 
really really interesting album of music as well not dominated by pipes but uses pipes throughout as just another part of the ensemble yeah um, <clears throat> so yeah we invited Stephen and it's amazing when you when you hear that on an instrument that's dynamically capable um, and just the way that he's able to push and pull the melody around in a way that yeah but by a guy that has a, a piper's mind and yeah exactly and is yeah. is going you know within his mind is going into that place which every Peabrook player, competitor, performer uh, has to go into, which is like feeling the space to do that on a, you know, a dynamic instrument. For it's sure. What, what a great opportunity for mm. that musician to, to pull out everything that they are, um, you know, insinuating in their performance on the pipe. Um, to be able to actually pull that out from an instrument that will respond. Absolutely, and I spoke to him immediately after we did the filming as well, and I asked him um, about how much his experiences as a piper influenced the way that he would put that across as a pianist. And he said, well, it was, it was all piper, really. Mm. Uh, it, it all comes from being a piper, but maybe just not having... The tools at your disposal mm -hmm. to to really give it something else that other people might appreciate, you know. Yeah. But see, I think that's interesting because whenever you hear Peabrick played on classical instruments, and that's been done, it you gain the dynamic and you gain some of the color, but you you also lose the percussive effect of the embellishments. It's when true. I, yeah. Whenever I hear you know people playing Peabrick on well anything that isn't bagpipes, I always think like. That, that's one thing that's always missing for me. I don't know, have you it's checked like, out the video? We posted it on our Facebook. I think it was Ali Hutton that, that made us aware yeah, yeah. of this uh, guitarist. Uh, what's the guy's name again? Can you remember? Uh, I, I know that he was playing McCrimmon's Sweetheart. Yeah, he was playing McCrimmon's Sweetheart. If you check out our Facebook page, you'll see it. There's, yeah, playing McCrimmon's Sweetheart on electric guitar and doing, like, for all, going through all the variations and, and doing tapping. To mimic the movements and it's the most <laughs> incredible like realization of the pipe movements that i've heard on any other instrument like I'll definitely technically that like <laughs> amazing I, I can't remember the guy's name but it's it's pretty startling it's, the guy's on, the, it's not, on our facebook though yeah yeah the, the guy, big music society facebook yeah yeah so that's the big music society slash whatever it is yeah that's like as a wow what was the best play was it? People sometimes play me play, pay me to play guitar at things. Um, I wouldn't I wouldn't say semi pro guitarist. I'm just not good enough. But um, there's so much scope in that kind of instrument. Like yeah, you, for sure. you can create. Oh, is that, it just occurred to me there. You know, with a smattering of of effects pedals, you could you could literally have if you had a good enough guitarist or a good enough arranger or a good enough guitarist, you could have one guy on stage playing through the whole thing with three pedals and it sounds like an orchestra mm -hmm. like, well, it, check out this guy because he's pretty it's, close man it's, it's, it's some, uh, one, it was one of those things it kind of hit me like it made me think of like um, the kind of latter Pink Floyd you know right. where it gets kind of like circles a beat but it's mm -hmm. not really on it you know when you get like tape effects and stuff but um, I'm, su I'm sure see as soon as you said that I can I can see in my head the yeah the, the guy, but I can't remember his name. So yeah, I mean, some some instruments, and we've spoken to a couple of other musicians that that were 
kind of potentially would really get into playing with the ornamentation and trying oh, and, to achieve and, and someone who has actually done quite a lot Fraser Fifield yeah, alto yeah. saxophone I mean just done some incredible things with Peabrook himself uh, yeah definitely worth mentioning absolutely yeah. and hopefully we'll maybe get to work with Fraser at some point in the future too yeah we're working on that so, well, is, sorry, Ryan. I was going to say, is there any that, that you really like? Uh, for, for this show, we've got like a, a just a list of folk. It's maybe like two hundred people deep at this point. Um, that we're going like, oh, we could get him and her, and or do you even get those guys together? And, um, do you guys have a similar kind of list for who you like? Yeah, again? we do, and and kind of we can't say too much at oh. the moment, but there's a there a couple of things um, brewing that um, we're hoping are going to come to life in the not-too-distant future as well. Um, nothing's confirmed yet, so we can't say anything about it. But, uh, yeah, there's plenty of plenty of people that we would like to involve. And not, not just Pipers at all. Oh, yeah. Not, not just Pipers by any stretch. Have moment. you thought about doing any tunes without Pipers? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you know what? We're, we're so close to the start of this... Um, endeavor that um we don't like basically what i think when when we first talked about it or maybe the second time we talked about it we agreed um we don't know where this is gonna go um but we have to get it going and we came up with an idea which which john and i were just like blown away with how the the performance went with murray and duncan back in march and we're so excited that it's gonna happen again and we're so excited that there's other ideas that are just brewing away right now. We unfortunately we can't mention them right now, but we should know something more soon. Um, but yeah, it was the agreement that we didn't know where it was going, but we wanted it to go somewhere else. We don't want to just sort of restage the same co- kind of concert yeah, over and exactly. over again. And, so and what we've do done with this first show is what that was. We might do something similar to that in the future, but that's not what we do exactly every yeah. single time yeah. we do and, something. And, and likewise, we're not looking to, to be pushing it out further and further away. We're literally just giving the opportunity to musicians to take the music that they love, which is Pibrach, and do something with it that their heart tells them it can do. And where that leads is impossible to know. Uh, and that's quite ex- quite exciting yeah absolutely you know just thinking about you know growing up doing competitions solo piping all the time it kind of feels as if well it is what it is and you go and you play in your competitions but being able to engage in a project like this where you know the possibilities are endless is like pretty exciting so yeah we're, we're pretty happy with how things are right now and yeah, who knows where it'll be in the future. I don't mean this to be a dramatic question, but like, have you, you know, <laughs> what's the Peabrook Society had to say about it? Like, is there anybody... It's been really good. Yeah. Yeah. For the first show we did back in March, we actually had a little bit of financial backing from the Peabrook Society. Wonderful, yeah. Um, and <coughs> president of the Peabrook Society, Jack yeah. Taylor... Um, wrote a little review mm-hmm. for the Piping Times as well, and 
didn't slay it. <laughs> oh, that's good. That's good. That's a step in the right direction. Not that I thought like, I, I didn't think Jack would, would do that. Like, no, he wouldn't at all. No, he like, wouldn't at all. So I, I didn't think it would be negative by any means, but it's just it was one of those things where you go like, well, you know, I, I mean, in, in my imagination, the the people of society are that's the, a dangerous statement right there. <laughs> are the <laughs> are the intergalactic overlord no, um, the, the 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 gatekeepers of a tradition? You're talking about such a huge, deep reservoir of important music that has influenced every single jig, reel, waltz, yeah. everything that's come out. Song. I mean, it's basically the the most closely connected to song, and like the grounds, they're free. Yeah. Um, they grew up alongside song and poetry, free form poetry. Um, like. They're, they're very important pieces of music and, and when you break them down they're very simple pieces of music the melodies f are, are very simple we don't play them in that um, infantile state but, but, but we do have to spend a long time learning about just how brilliant they are so that we can play them and then challenge ourselves and bring them out you know that's interesting as well yeah like you say there quite often very simple melodies um, and I think that that gets lost quite often you know you can I've been there and, and taught these tunes but vocally to people and you just find people really grasp simple melodies teach something like Strun Robertson's salute to, to a group and pick it up like that there's yeah. no, there's no difficulty in it at all but it's sort of shrouded in in mystery and kind of arcane conventions, uh, and it's it becomes quite sort of exclusive, which is not very attractive to newcomers to the whole thing, obviously. Um, and I think that's a real shame. And again, that's part of what we're trying to address yeah. through the project yeah. is to just make people appreciate some sometimes real simple melodies and. It's, it's just a melody, you know. It's not. But you know, it. I. I think it's fair to say that. Uh, that, on occasion, if not, in my, in my own opinion, in my own opinion, there are there are occasions where, Peabrook is performed on the solo instrument by a person who knows that tune very intimately, um, and the person that's judging it knows it very intimately. And it's all about the like the very subtle holes and strains Absolutely. to bring out that piece. Now, to someone who does not know that tune, and has they, they don't play, and they are sitting and they're listening and they're listening to it on a non-dynamic instrument, whew, that that that's a big ask. Like, oh, how are they going to get a hold on where things are starting or ending yeah, in the phrasing? Sure. They're not. Um, but like every time I've had someone come to me and say oh yeah Peabrook yeah I don't really get it um, and, and that's pipers as well as drummers as well as people who don't play that music or listen to it um, I, I always just sing like a, a, a simple phrase basically yeah, yeah. and I'll like Robertson or you know yeah, yeah. or I'll or I'll, I'll, uh, I'll turn it more song like just to get across the phrasing so I'll kind of sing, well, I'll sing one of the big ones, you know, like uh, Lament for the Children, which, yeah. which you know, it's a big tune, 
like there's a lot of phrasing a lot of like little kind of mode changes in there to hear it for the first time it's beautiful but it's like overwhelmingly different and and how do you follow it so i just sing to them basically what happens in the variation and they're instantly like oh that's lovely it's like oh well that's pibroch and I was like, and, and I'll I'll sing a few more to you, and I'll I'll go through them, and be like, no, I'm 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 giving you this in the simplified form, and you won't hear it performed in the way that I'm singing it, but the essence of that tune is what I'm singing. I've simplified it for the essence. You're getting that. Then you're there, and then you can extrapolate when you hear a piper pulling out phrasing, and it's like, well, yeah. Without that introduction, how could you appreciate that it's a simple form if all you hear is the extrapolated version that a non-dynamic loud instrument delivers? Yeah. Well, you can't. <laughs> Neither could the judge if they'd never heard it before. No. They'd be digging deep to try and, you know, like, trying to picture where the phrasing's falling. <laughs> yeah. You need to know it. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a preset. Yeah, for sure. And again, that's part of the raison d'etre for this is to try and sort of demystify it, really, and to make it accessible. Make it accessible without diluting it, you know, mm. and relying on the integrity of the people that we invite to be involved in anything we do or anything that we do off our own backs as well. Mm. Um, so yeah. It is actually just it struck a chord for me there. Like there, there is a a language of people, you know. I don't mean Cantac, but like there's there's certain way things are put in the page that we now take as as read. You know, like how long a quaver lasts in a salute is not the same every time, obviously. But there's a way we go. Well, I can kind of guess the first time I see that it'll be kind of like this, you know. And that's something that. Well, looking at the last Big Music Society concert, you know, you've got uh, Murray, who's, you know, a, a real master of the art form, presenting that, that language, you know, like through three pieces. Um, but most kind of saying, like, this is the tradition of it, and as we were talking about earlier on, using the backing to um, explore the themes in there. And then, um, you know, you've got Duncan playing with the formatting. And like, mm-hmm. I think maybe then you got another level going like, well, let's play with the language a bit more then. Obviously, you don't want to muck around with the melody particularly because that's it's the melody. But there are arrangements. There's things where certainly if you read through, you know, a Peabody Society book and find a tune you've never heard, you've never. Played. Well, this is where we rely on the oral tradition, though, isn't it? Really, you know, that, like you say, those sort of little things that you the the assumption of a certain length to a quaver here and there. We learn that through time uh, and through our knowledge of the repertoire really um, and how similar passages of notes are treated in various different places and other pieces that we already know that are passed down orally really you know mm-hmm. to really have a good grasp of Peabrook I still think that you know to, to be, be taught it orally via cantor not to say that you can't have a score there as a memory aid you know but you know to, to have the cantor 
they're guiding you so you feel the rise and fall dynamically. Yeah. Um, when you say Kentrack, do you mean actual like oh, no. Kentrack, or do you mean just the sort of modern? That's what, what you do. You know, I, I'm not a firm believer in this sort of strict form of Kentrack. I don't believe that it was ever a strict form. No, it was a teaching aid. Yeah. I don't, but, the, but, but, the, but the goal was to put it onto the instrument. It yeah. wasn't, I don't, it wasn't to perform the <clears throat> I don't believe the that, 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 you know, to play a dream movement, everyone that taught it all over Scotland in 1650 sang dre. Mm. You know, no. I, I don't no, believe but, that but for what a it, second. But, but what it did do was it, op- what it, was, it was the natural way to try and convey the music of the piece. Yeah. For so sure. that the player could apply that to their instrument. For sure. And, and that's and, where it was a genius. And the teacher would have probably move. had their own sort of vocal sounds to to convey whatever technical embellishments they want to have on there. But if, uh, as far as like a strict system goes, I, I don't really buy into that no. at all. You know? Especially now. Yeah. But, but, but what we definitely would buy into is the idea that... Uh, Using vocal uh, interaction oh, is yeah. crucial. Absolutely, yeah. Um, it's funny when we did um, the first show with it was more on Duncan's certain second half. We did early C fourth salute. Um, now, when we looked at that piece originally, I mean Duncan had written string arrangements for various parts, and he knew how he wanted it to all progress, and he wanted a lot. To be a canter to be a big part of it, and he had said that when he learnt the tune originally, he'd been getting a few lessons here and there, but he'd also he based a lot of what he got off of the Bob Brown recording of it. I think it was Bob Brown. Um, it was either Bob Brown or Bob Nichols, or from from one of the Masters of Peebrook series. Um, so we thought it'd be really nice to and quite appropriate to mimic the the vocal sounds that he used. So Callum and I spent quite a bit of time actually like notating pretty much exactly what Bob Brown was doing through through the tune. Uh, so we, we we wrote it all down and we had the sheets the cheat sheets there on the night um, to just keep us right. Um, but yeah, Bob Brown. Wish I knew for a certain, uh, but the singing was nothing like your netherlorn canterach. You know, yeah. The, no, yeah, yeah. The, the, there were all his own natural inflections and his own pronunciations for certain mm. things that coloured it all. You know, and that that's one of the the great conduits for Peebrook in the in the twentieth century. So, well, I think you're right though. Like whenever I learn new tune. Obviously, I go over it with my tutor first, but the, the next thing I do, like, for the next two or three days, I don't touch my chanter. I just sit with the tune and sing it to try and get the melody get a feel in my ear. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard Murray say the same as well as a, this is the best way to learn. You don't, you don't start to memorize it till you can sing it properly. Yeah. Yeah, so. well, I think when you're singing it, you're not thinking about, you know, maybe not thinking, oh, two bar phrases and line one, line two, line three. It just becomes a song. Yeah, I think you just be, you get more of a dynamic feel for yeah. it. I think you know, which again, we keep coming back to the, the talk of dynamics, but it's um, a big thing. Yeah, big people's lack in it. I was actually I was wanting to come back to what you were saying, Dan, um, 
about not wanting to mess with the melody of the tune. And my oh, I was actually going somewhere with that, and then I, oh yeah, I, I just th- thank you. Um, I was going to say, see with a tune you're unfamiliar with, your own uh, your own feel for the music will obviously get in the way, you know, like. Uh, is that the sea force starts John Cage? Sorry, that's that's this one. I'm I'm That's the one. My, like that's a phrase you could really draw out. Like me looking at that music, my initial reaction would be really draw out that G because it's got that great seventh quality to it. It's just this real hanging note. It's dead intense, and the high has got to blossom out. So I mean, even playing that, I'd probably probably lean into the high even a bit more just to give it that life. Um, but yeah, like what I was really going with that is like, there's a line between like you know, playing the Bob style or playing this or playing that style. Um, can't remember any other style people. <laughs> but you know, you naturally have a, a musical thing. So I'm wondering if at some point, maybe it's already been done. One of the contributors is going to turn around and go like, I've always imagined this tune like this. I play it like that in in the gold medal, in the class, in the silver medal, whatever, right? Um, but I've always imagined it should be like this. Well, maybe if we invite someone, like we said yeah. earlier on, we're not really planning to replicate this type of show exactly mm-hmm. on a regular basis, so... Yeah, yeah maybe know. that's a journey. We, that actually, yeah. I'd, I'd go as far as to say that is a journey we do need to take yeah, at some probably, point. Yeah, probably come at some um, point, but again, you know. But let's let's not discount the fact that it has already happened. There are different versions of Pibroch, um a few of which but something you're like not El- allowed to compete with. But that yeah. doesn't mean that they're not versions that were played by certain groups. If you go far enough back, so mm. do you discount them? But, but then I'm not saying that you should count them. What I'm, what I would say to that is, different versions of Pibrach are in existence. A ground that does not do the same thing on the third line. Um, you can there, there might be two that we've heard. There might be four that we haven't ever heard anyone play. Um, maybe that's because they're terrible, <laughs> or maybe that's because. They're not allowed to be performed because they're not credible or seen as credible. Um, but that's interesting because whether they're credible or not, it tells us something about how Pibroch survived. It didn't survive as one version or two, but some of them survived as three or four. Now, the differences might be small or they might be huge. There's examples of both, but the, but it survived in different ways just as the light music has when you go to the old collections and you find tunes like if i was to pull one out of my head maggie cameron which uh, had, had a, a massive flourish of notes at the end of the tune in three old collections um and has since uh, lost that ending uh, for a, for a more complicated uh, version the point is not which one is right. The point is that there were different versions, and this is perhaps something that can be explored further. Well, yeah, so wider conversation about competition, I suppose, and the impact that that has upon interpretation and different stylistic approaches. But yeah, that, that, that's, I think that's a, a much bigger conversation <laughs> for another day. <laughs> we'll do that on the next conversation. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I just want to jump back to whatever it was, Callum, that you were about to say. I just want to to Dan about whatever it was he was saying. What was he saying? Well, thanks for listening. <laughs> it, it was to do with the idea that uh, you don't want to mess with the melody, right? But the thing is, you don't want it. Yeah, you don't want to mess with the melody, but you do want to mess with the melody. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you want to make so it that's yours. actually kind of what is. Is there an interesting wider conversation beyond this to do with? Um, a sort of musical revolution that happened in the latter part of the 20th century and looking at the individual as interpreter whereas you know our pipe thing all really stems from this you being a, a descendant of your tutor and there's sort of being a dynasty almost that works its way through and you're just voicing your tutor's um, style and he's like mimicking yeah. his tutor's mm-hmm. style and, and so cool. back on into past up to Whereas the beginning in the last 60 years it's not oh fuck it I'm, I could get in, you know you can get right into a really <laughs> you weren't even born serious, 60 years no, ago what are you talking about you get an serious serious over 60 years old <laughs> 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 he's lived a thousand lifetimes <laughs> they call him the Highlander <laughs> <laughs> But do you not think that there's a thing in this idea of in the last, the sort of, the blossoming of the idea of the individual, you know, and it's like a political, philosophical, like, dimension, which I'm sure you're probably more versed on than I am, you know. Well, it's a postmodern condition. Yeah. You know, know, so how much has that influenced exactly what we're talking about right now? And, you know, us just being, um, like... A part of our time right now, you wouldn't have the people discussing what we we're talking about sixty years ago, because no yeah, I think yeah, absolutely, and and, and and a generation from now, I think and I hope that it's gonna seem almost silly that we that we we're, we're talking about certain things, yeah. certain things, not not everything, but certain yeah. uh, things that are guided by our our views that you know, okay. Let's assume that we're being forward-thinking right now. Let's assume that. A generation from now, that'll be kind of funny because it's like, well, either it was or wasn't forward-thinking, but like things have gone somewhere. But Next I generation. There, I reckon and there the were... Conversa- certain parts of our conversation. I reckon there were people discussing this in the 80s. You know, like Sir Michael Gray was probably going through all these, absolutely, absolutely. these discussions back okay. in the 80s. Um, All right. Yeah, I'll just come through and get that in a minute. There were people discussing this stuff back in the eighties, and people like Michael Gray and 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 others um, are still are still challenging and and talking about this stuff. But I mean, Michael will probably tell you as well. The pace of change in our little world is glacial. Yeah, exactly. It's totally glacial. But the fact is that it is actually happening. But I do think coming back to this idea of the idea of individuality and in your interpretation is a relatively modern thing as far as where we are with our tradition so it is going to take another 50 60 years yeah so it's generational isn't it yeah Um, but the things that we find startling now you know it's like it it might not take that long because you're kind of going through this telescoping of like 
uh, perspective. Mm. For the natural the progression, though, it's going to have to be generation. For natural yeah. progression, yeah. yeah. Um, wherever we push it, we might push it in the wrong direction. You know, there's there's every chance. Well, Actually, is there a wrong direction? Yes, there 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 is and there isn't because when you when you push anything or you come up with anything, it will either survive or fall away. And that comes for that comes with uh, tune writing. Tune changing, arranging, uh, what, whatever happens. But the thing is, it finds its way to being something. And it might be completely not what you were pushing tw 20 years ago, whatever you did. It didn't go there exactly, but it did go somewhere. There was a response, and therefore there was a, a route for different people to go somewhere else. And then that sort it's that idea of like what survives so is, but it a, is it a dialectic is that what we're talking about here to an extent yeah. that's oh, the that's third word, word I don't know tonight third word Colin you're next <laughs> we're really gonna oh I've got a good one. Oh, I've got a good one. that anti-disestablishmentarianism <laughs> no it's it's even better than that but you're gonna have to give me a minute to remember it. Well, what will you remember on that? It just made me think of something like you know we've talked a lot about you know we're challenging form, but we're challenging feeling. We're bringing out things in in Peabrook that maybe we don't get to really appreciate on mm. on a non-dynamic instrument. There are tunes that are vulgar. There are tunes that are bright. There are tunes that are vicious. There are tunes that are lovingly soft. But it made me think of um, what do you call it, Joey Ramone was once asked why they did a cover of Wonderful World. Mm. And he said, somebody's mum's going to hate it. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought, that's a great reason they do it. Because there'll be folk out there like, fucking A. And then there'll be a bunch of other people going, oh, that's you can't do that, that's terrible. You're murdering that Louis yeah, Armstrong yeah. tune. But they're like, fuck it, one, two, three, four. <laughs> and, you, and you might be murdering that tune, but you won't truly know if you've murdered that tune until you realise no one's listening to it 30 years yeah. later. <laughs> as long as somebody's picking it up. Like, but if people are still listening I, to I that I think version, I heard that on Six Music like two or three weeks ago. So, so yeah, you know, <laughs> people are still listening to it. <laughs> <laughs> and that was what... Early eighties, yeah, early mid eighties. Like ju uh, just as that was a that was a gold period for music. Early eighties, yeah. Just as the Ramones sold out, you know. Just as the old kind of, just after Didi and Ramone yeah. died in a car crash and the heart went out of rock and roll, like yeah. looking for a hit. You know. <laughs> like fuck it, we'll just go do this. Somebody's mum will hate it. <laughs> All right, well, like, sorry, I, I've, I've got to do the, the lame thing and say I've been handed the bill for the pints. And What's the damage? No, no, no. We got it. We got yeah, it. But this one to say. What was that? No, you go first. Well, I was going to say thanks for coming on, so you... I was going to ask if you'll know it. Thank you, but just as you said it, I've remembered the word I was going to use. Brilliant. This is what we're going to go out on. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was sitting in the pub with a friend of mine in Dundee, and I, I can't remember what, what spurred this on, but we were talking about something being nocturnal, and I said, what does it mean... What's the word if you're not nocturnal, you're, you're during the day? And we had ideas of what it might be, and we actually ended up getting quite close, and the answer was diurnal. But we had to confirm that by looking on my phone. And in the process, found that there's a third uh, description of living by twilight. Rather than day or night, animals that live by twilight and they're known as being 
crepuscular. Crisp, crepuscular. I can't even say it after this. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> You'll never use it. Oh no no! Oh no! I'll, so I'll, I'll, I'll get it used in the next seven days. Try, try to use End it in the next episode. Uh, <laughs> on the next episode, <laughs> chat about crepuscular. Uh, he crepuscular. crepuscular. Yeah. So like crepuscular piping. I I prefer use to pipe highlights crepuscularly. <laughs> <laughs> It refuses to go on before the 5 p.m. Sing. It'll yeah. never go on after 6.30. No. No, no. no. <laughs> Sorry. No, that's okay. Uh, Thanks for that, having us. Yeah, it's brilliant. Thanks for coming on, guys. Yeah, no, really appreciate nice it. Us. Thank you. This is the end. Of yet another channel banner. Well, wasn't it lovely boys and girls? We sat down there and had, had a very in-depth and high-concept chat about music, the arrangement of music and how tradition can be upheld while at the same time changing. Wasn't it bloody lovely? I think it's smashing. I think, I think we've done a good thing here. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, well, uh, uh, I'd like to say thank you to John and Callum for agreeing to come on. It was quite short notice for them to do that. Um, but Dan and I spoke about it, really enjoyed the concert when we saw it the first time. We wanted to make sure that everybody was aware of the upcoming concert on Thursday, August 13th at 7 o'clock p.m. at Cottier's Theatre. Yeah. God, see, I'm trying to get a job with like AT&T to be their message system voice. Uh, you've got a, a voice like, it sounds, the sounds like what a bulldog like a nettle looks like. My dad always told me I had a voice for newspapers. What, like, <laughs> like spinning towards you? I've also got a face for radio. Oh. Hey! hey. It's all going, yeah. uh, I want dead mediums. Hey! <laughs> um, we'd like to thank the National Piping Centre where John Mulherin is a tutor. And um, we recorded the episode. Exactly. We uh, recorded the episode in the library. We'd like to thank the Papers Trust for the, the booze we bought out of there. And you may hear a clink of a thud through it. We were drinking... Uh, Williams Brothers. Williams yeah. Brothers Joker. Joker IPA. I think I had a Caesar Augustus. Yeah, you said did, yeah. yeah. And they were all delicious. Williams Brothers. It's also always a good decision. I don't know if they're doing it this year, but last year Williams Brothers also sponsored the the, the, ca- the street cafe at Piping Life. Uh, they very well could be. Yeah. I'm not sure. Maybe they are, maybe they're not. Buy yourself a joker anyway. Yeah, it's a good beer. Uh, speaking of the street cafe... Just stuff on it. Yeah. Um, during Piping Live, there's a number of things going on at the Piping Centre and at the Street Cafe, which is the Piping Centre. Yeah. Um, if you go to www.pipinglive.co.uk, there's a list of events on. Um, if you're lucky enough to make it over from overseas or you live in Scotland, I would highly recommend... lucky enough to live in Scotland. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'd highly recommend making your way to the Piping Centre for a few events. Um, I work in the shop. Pop in and say hi. Yeah, you can criticise the sound quality of the episode. Yeah. Tell us all about your podcast. <laughs> uh, some stuff that's on, sorry. I should have said some of it. Uh, you'll find the Street Cafe, there's a Street Cafe session, so you get to hear piping and folk music from around the world, as well as contests like Pipe Idol, and they've got the, on Monday, uh, the Monday the 10th of August, there's the Masters Piping Contest, and the... Uh, and the in Piping Centre Auditorium, yeah. Yeah, and that's, you know, you're talking about, you'll, you'll not see a calibre of, of contests like that till the Confederate, really. Um, I attended the contest last year with my dad, and it was really, really great. Spectacular stuff. Yeah, it's a, it's a wonderful yeah. contest, I really recommend it. Uh, we'd like to thank our sponsors again, and God, it feels good to have, have multiple. 
Um, McAllister Piping Limited. Is it limited? I don't know if it's limited. Um, I don't think his, his limits have been found yet. He, he, I think it's just McAllister Piping. The, w- the website's McAllisterPiping.com. Uh, he also has a Facebook you can check out. Uh, his, he has a wonderful range of pipe chanters available in varying colors. I think blue, red, white, and the standard black. Yeah. Um, and they are also available from licensed retailers such as Scott Curry Limited. Yeah. Um, just to repeat our question from this, this episode, when and where is the Big Music Society concert during Piping Live. And that's to enter for a £50 voucher for Scott Curry Limited, which would probably be good to have right about this time. Oh, yeah, yeah. Whenever you come over, he's like, oh, no, I've left my insert importance thing here. Back in, I don't know, back in the, the Greater Dansk. <laughs> uh, and, and I need it for Saturday, so I'm going to have to... Go and get a new one. And you can give Scotty a ring and be like, Scotty, help me! I've lost my insert important thing here. And he'll be like, I sure, I've got like four million of them in stock. So, aye, there you go. Wouldn't that be useful? So don't be, don't be scared of sending us a thing and entering the doodah. All right. Excellent. I, I hope that was clear. Everything I just said there. And for those of you who can't understand the word I'm saying, I couldn't give a fuck. <laughs> uh, lastly... I think it's lastly. We'd like to thank Fiona Weir from the 78 Frasers who does our artwork and our logo and all that good stuff. She's coming over this week, which means that... We're forced to we're spend gonna... actual real, like, sterling money on some sort of chocolatey thing. Yeah. Well, anyway. Thanks for listening. Do our pish. <laughs> <laughs>